I love this song. I love this song because I was singing it when God confirmed in my heart that I was going to come work at Summit Pacific College at a convention called Oflow. Shout out to all my Ontario homies in the crowd, but, but I love this song more. Because it encourages us that we get to walk in victory. That that is the life that we get to walk in. That our character is not founded upon what we can do, but it's founded upon His victory. This morning we're going to be talking about how our character showcases His victory. That's it. That's what we point it all towards. And so let's sing these words just one more time and seal it in our hearts. Because it's His victory that allows us to live. It's His victory that gives us life. It's His victory that gives us purpose. Let's sing. time. Let's go. gratitude and thanks that the victory is yours that the victory that you had all those years ago has allowed me to have new life for me to find purpose and you did it for me you did it for me because you love That was your motivation. That was your reason. That I was enough to send your one and only son to die for me. That if I would choose, that I could have eternity with you. I'm so thankful, Lord, that the victory is yours. And it's ours. Lord, I pray that as we go to your word and as we leave this room, Lord, that we would be able to stand a little taller. Lord, that we would be able to stand with our heads held high. Because no matter what it feels like around us, no matter our circumstances, we're victors. Because our character is built upon who you are and what you've done. Would that be true in our hearts and true in our lives? In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen, amen, amen. You've been in enough chapels. You guys know the drill. Find a seat. New York. New York. I need to see hands up. If you have ever been to New York City, 
See, I know I'm not supposed to be envious of all of you, but I am. I love traveling. I love seeing big cities, and I, and I really want to go to New York. Except I'm not fully convinced because I've heard from a very, very reputable source, a well of wisdom named Hollywood, that if there ever is an alien invasion or the end of the world, New York's going first. And so I want to go, but I'm not 100% convinced. But I need a little help this morning. I need you guys to repeat after me as loud as you can. Emma! Emma! Take Jace to New York! Take Jace to New York! Thanks, guys. Ne- needed that. I-, I love traveling to big cities. I love traveling around the world. It's intoxicating to be in these different places. And, and I grab a flag for every country that I've been to. And so as I look at my travel backpack, I have so many stories. I look at, I look at Brazil, the place that I went for my first Omega trip. I look at China, where I was accused of having a counterfeit passport. I think of Australia, which stole my older brother away. I look at Germany, had the opportunity to visit the board, ca- board game capital of the world. Come on. I think of Bar- Spain, where I went on my honeymoon. I think of France, where we got to go see the Eiffel Tower. I love going to big cities. It's intoxicating. But in the same breath, it's really, really exhausting. And I have so many different stories of traveling to these big cities. I could tell you stories about Christian. Would you guys like that? I could tell you stories about Phil. Some of you would enjoy those. I could talk to you stories about Jordan Jeans. I could talk to you about a few people in this room. But I want to talk to you about a man in this room named Tay O. Lee. See, I got to travel with Teo last spring to China, and he was serving in in a smaller city of China, which meant it only had 7 million people in it. And in this city, there's only 50 people that look like me out of 7 million It's incredible to be in a place where you know you do not belong, where you stand out amidst them. And so I came to visit Teo, and when I saw him dripping in the glorious sweat, he comes up to me and he grabs my shoulders, and he says this, Jace, I love the food here. I never want to leave. He was intoxicated with this new city, this new excitement that he was able to be in. And yet, traveling to different cities, trying to figure out where to go, trying to figure out public transit, where to eat, where to go to the washroom. There's so many different things that, even though it's incredibly exciting and adventurous, it leaves you really tired. See, I've been with my wife, Emma, for nine years. And unfortunately, her birthday is in May which is when Omega Travel, see in the nine years that we've been together, I've been in Canada for three of them. There's a sacrifice that's attached to ministry sometimes, and so May 7th, on every single Omega trip that I'm on is the hardest. 
Because although I love seeing new places and I love traveling, I miss home. And so I remember going to visit one of the teams. And they didn't know exactly when we were coming. And so we walk onto this university campus where they're teaching ESL. And I'm walking through this crowd of people. And then all of a sudden, in the distance, I hear two of our Omega girls yell, Jace! And they run across the campus and envelop me in a hug. And then when we let go, they look at me and say, I don't know why I just did that. (laughs) But we do know that we have a longing to be close to home. And it spoke to me so much in that moment that I represented that for them. In that moment, when they've been taken away from everything that was comfortable in a foreign place, that when they saw me, they thought of home. See, as Christians, I think that we have this same tension as we live in the world around us. That we believe so much in society and what our world has to offer. And yet, at the same time, there's this deep longing in our hearts to be somewhere else. To be home. To be where He is. To be with our God. To be in His presence. See, we too are exiles. It looks a little bit different than it did in the story of Daniel. Where they were forced into captivity to live in a different land. To live as exiles, longing to be home. Longing to be near the presence of God, but being unable to. He felt that same tension that we had ourselves. See, that every single story that we've shared over the course of this weekend has happened in this city called Babylon. And Babylon is described in the Bible very clearly. It's described as a very spiritual place that loves spirituality but will not serve just one God. That it's hyper-stimulated and it's multicultural and it serves many gods and Babylon it values fitting in and Babylon values not missing out. FOMO is biblical. Babylon, it was a culture that was set against the purposes of God because in their culture, they esteemed power and they esteemed pride. And they esteemed pleasure and prestige. Babylon was a place that worshipped sin. That they actually worshipped everything that went against God. It was a place where their collective pursuits were not in the interests of our God. And the more I read about Babylon, the more I think about Babylon, the more I talk about Babylon, I begin to feel like I'm talking about Canada. A place that is very spiritual and interested in spiritual things, but not convinced of one God. It's a place that is hyper-stimulated in the digital age that we live in. It's multicultural. There's people who serve many, many different gods. It values fitting in. It values not missing out. That culture is set against the purposes of God as they continue to esteem pride, power, prestige, pleasure. That they don't pursue what it is that God has called us to. See, we live in a modern Babylon. 
But even still, our experiences are much different. Our experience is much different because Daniel and the three, they had no choice. They were prisoners of war. They were captive. They were forced to live in this place. But I think there's a difference because I think sometimes in our world, in our context here in Canada, I think sometimes we choose to remain captive. Daniel had no choice, but we do. And yet we see what's going around in our culture, in our context, and we want some of it. And so instead of walking in the victory that God has for us, we choose to serve different idols. We choose to worship the same things that our culture does. We choose to esteem the same values that our culture does in our lives. Sometimes we remain captive because we don't fully understand the victory that has already been won for us. We're talking about the fact that character showcases victory as we consider what character looks like at the end of the line. So the question is, how do we live in this world? How do we live amongst a culture that does not have the same purposes, the same expectations, the same beliefs, the same hopes? How do we actually do this? Because I see student after student after student, whether at retreats or camps or an Omega, be confused about how to make decisions in the world that we live in. Because John 17 says this. It says that God sent us into the world, but that we are not of it. It's this challenging dichotomy that that we are sent to the world, but we're supposed to not be of it. How do we do that? How do we live in the context that we do? See, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, it says, I have sent you out as sheep amongst wolves. So be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. He's encouraging us to go into our culture, not to hide from it, and to be smart, to be honorable, to be consumed by him, and so to show character in everything that we do. But that doesn't look like an incredibly detailed blueprint to me. How do I live in this world around me? Because there's nowhere in my Bible which told me which college or university to attend. There's nothing in my Bible that shows, am I going to be single or am I going to find someone? And how do I choose? There's nothing in my Bible who says exactly what type of friends I'm going to have, where I'm going to live for the rest of my life. There's not an exact blueprint on how you're supposed to live your life, except we know that we are sent into the world to bring Him glory, and yet at the same time, we're not supposed to be of it. So how do we actually do this? How do we live in this place? And I think we can turn to Daniel specifically in chapter 6, which is the story of the lion's den, to see what it looks like to live. Because Daniel lived in this, this tension as well. As an exile himself, he lived in this tension on how to serve God amidst the people who do not hold the same beliefs. And when we look at the life of Daniel, we see that he's not just interested in surviving. He's not just interested in making it through. 
He's not interested with trying to hide what he believes and just hope nobody notices. He's interested in being consumed by God and letting his faith speak. That he actually has a deep conviction that his private life, his beliefs, what he does behind closed doors should actually impact his public life. What people see, how he acts, the character that he shows, he's convinced of that. See, Daniel was a man of character over and over and over. We see that in his diet, as he wouldn't compromise over unclean foods. We see that in his motives, because he didn't take credit for interpreting the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. We see it in his honesty and his integrity as he spoke truth to authorities and never took bribes from any officials. We see it in his disciplines, that he would continue to pray even when it was against the law. We see it in his convictions as he stayed committed to his friends and to his faith as he continued to rise in influence in his culture. See, in Daniel chapter 6, it introduces this story of Daniel because, it, because we leave him for a little bit in the middle. And I want you guys to do something with me. I want you guys to close your eyes just for a second. I'm not going to throw anything. I'm not going to spit. I'm not going to do anything like that. Okay, I just want you to create a mental picture in your mind right now. Okay, I want you to picture what, what does Daniel look like in Daniel chapter 1 when he's at the table with his friends, the young, strapping, good-looking men. What what does he look like to you? I want you to create a picture of him. Okay, and then I want you to create a second picture. I want you to create a picture of Daniel who's thrown into the lion's den in chapter 6. What does he look like? Now that you have that, I want to bring you into something that I've learned recently. See, whenever I read through the story of Daniel... The Daniel of chapter 1 is the same Daniel of chapter 6. Pretty similar. But the actual reality of the scriptures is this. Is that the Daniel of chapter 6 who gets thrown into the lion's den. He doesn't look the same as the Daniel of chapter 1. I think he'd have a few more gray hairs. I think that he moves a little bit slower. I think he retires to bed a little bit earlier. Because from chapter 1 to chapter 6 is 70 years. He is now 70 years older. It's not the same Daniel. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this story. See, I make a very common mistake in my life. I look to people that I aspire to be like. I look to different mentors who are older than me, that are seasoned in ministry and in life. And I tell myself... I should be there. I should be able to do what they do. I should be able to have the character and the influence that they do right now. And I get frustrated with myself because I'm not there. And I compare myself because I want so desperately to be used by God. And so I look at all of these giants and I say, why am I not there? And when I do that, I do a disservice to two people. I do a disservice to myself, and I do a disservice to them. I do a disservice to myself because I begin to believe truths about me that aren't true. That I'm giving myself no ability to grow, no time to mature, 
no option to continue to walk in the calling that God has to me so that maybe one day I'll be in a place that they are. And so I live in a place of self-criticism or self-hate or doubt because I see the gap between me and them. But it also does a disservice to the people that I'm comparing myself to because it discredits the hard work, the discipline, the moments where they have been cho- they've chosen to be consumed by God, to live for Him. And that as they've pursued Jesus, they have developed this character and this influence that I now see, but I think that I can just get there. And I don't look at all the time they spent kneeling. I don't consider all the time they spent in prayer. I don't consider all the time where they've pursued Jesus and being consumed by Him and allowed experience to mature their faith. Because we look at people and we say, I want to be like them. I want to be like Daniel at 70 years, who is an incredible character. But that means that you also have to do the work that it takes to get there. It doesn't happen that fast. But because you made a determination to serve Him, And your character flows from that. Over and over and over and over again, you will be there in due time. Because we all have different stories. See, we read in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, that Daniel continues to rise in influence. And this is so significant. Do you guys remember the statue that I had that was gold, silver, bronze, and iron? Well, This story actually takes place after gold. See, King Nebi, he's not on the scene anymore. We're actually now in the next kingdom, which is the Persian kingdom. And so we're in the silver. So this isn't King Nebuchadnezzar. It's a new king, a king named Darius. And yet, even still, with new leadership, they still saw what King Nebuchadnezzar saw. They still saw the character in Daniel. They still saw the wisdom because it was consistent in his life. And so he continued to rise through the ranks. And he was about to be set as King Darius' right-hand man to be taking over all of the country of Babylon. And so that's what verses 1 to 3 is all about. And then we read verse 4, and I think that this is so significant for us. Verse 4 reads like this. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find, find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. <laughs> they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. That is so amazing because this is Daniel 70 years later. So that means that all of the rulers and everybody who was an enemy to Daniel could not find one charge to bring against him over a span of 70 years. That's character. That there was no opportunity for anybody who opposed Daniel and opposed his God to actually say. There was nothing that they could bring charges. And so then we read verse 5. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man. 
man, I hope somebody would say that about me. We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. The only way that they could try and get Daniel in trouble was to attack the most consistent thing in his life. To attack the one thing that consumed his thoughts. The one thing that he was most concerned about. The one thing that affected his life the most. His relationship with God. And so I want to ask you a question. Is the most consistent part of your character your allegiance to God? That in all the different places that you exist, that when people look at you, they would say the most consistent thing about you is your allegiance to God. That you are so consumed by Him that they know that that's the only thing that they can try and trip you up on. I'll never forget when my friend Scott, he walked up to me in high school and he said, Jace, I want you to know that my single goal throughout our high school career is to get you drunk. Because he knew that the only place he could try and trip me was to try and get me to violate my faith in him. And I had a few other friends who had different comments along that line. Guys, there's nothing more satisfying than graduating high school, walking up to Scott and say, you lost. That you can't bring that charge against me because I'm consumed by my God. People who are consumed by Him. We don't provide space for anybody to bring charges against us. And even greater, we don't provide space for anybody to bring a charge against our God. Because we represent Him in everything that we do. After that, these accusers, they're still knowing that the only way they can get Him is through His love for God. And so they go to the king and they flatter His indulgence with Himself. And so they say, King, you should make a law that nobody can pray over the next 30 days to any other man or God but you. And because King Darius, like King Nebuchadnezzar, was consumed with himself, he said, that sounds like a fantastic idea. Let's do that. And I love that the enemies of Daniel said they only needed 30 days. They were being conservative because they knew that Daniel was going to pray. It's not that they put this law into effect for the rest of time so that maybe one time he will pray. All they needed was 30 days because they knew that Daniel was consistent. I love that. See, Daniel is now put into a position as this law is made real. That he is now no longer able to pray to his God. He must pray to King Darius or the gods of Babylon. And so now we find Daniel in a moment of adversity. And he has two choices. The choices of the three yesterday were to bow or to die. The choices that Daniel faced was to choose character or to choose compromise. Those were the only options that he has. He was at a crossroads where he had to make a decision on how to live in this faithless world. How to live out his faith amongst people who don't share his values and share his beliefs. Every leader, 
will face a crossroads in their life where they will have to choose character or compromise. There may be some really big moments where you have to decide, but a leader will face it and face it often, daily, as you talk to people around you. As you walk out your spiritual disciplines, you will have to choose character or compromise over and over and over in your life. And the only way you're going to be able to choose a life of character is if you made a determination to be consumed by Him. Otherwise, you're going to choose compromise over and over and over and over again. Because it's not the crossroad that makes character. That when I'm looking to find direction... That in that moment where I choose God over choosing whatever else stands against Him, that character is built. But it is the crossroads that reveals the character that I already have. Because I made a decision earlier to serve God. And so if I'm going to serve God, when I have to be invited to a party, to engage in things that I should not be doing, because God said, don't engage with that. I've got better for you. Or if I'm going to stand and say, I'm going to choose you and I might lose some status and I might lose some reputation. It's not in that moment that my character is built. But it's because of whatever I am consumed by is going to dictate that choice. And so as I choose God, it expresses a character that is consumed by Him. Or in that moment, it's going to reveal that I'm still consumed with myself. That I'm looking out for myself. I'm looking to survive in this world around me that doesn't share the same faiths and values that I have. And so I want to pick it up in verse 13. Actually, sorry, verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, Jerusalem being the place where he knew the presence of God was. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Circle that, underline that, just as he has done before. It didn't matter that the circumstances changed. It didn't matter what the world around him was telling him he could do. He was consumed by God. And so when he was at the crossroads, do I pray, do I not? Do I pray or do I not? He simply does what he did before. Because that was what his character showed. See, guys, it's so easy to have Great moments in rooms like this, at conferences like this. It's easy to be excited about what God is doing. It's a whole other ball game to actually apply it. So if you want to be leaders and people of character who are consumed by God, it will be tested in the different crossroads that you will come across. That in the different decisions you have to make, that in those moments, it's going to reveal what is present in your heart. So students, as you choose where to attend school, all you need to do is choose character and listen to what God is leading you towards. When you're choosing who to surround yourself with, you simply look back to the moment that you determined to live for Him and then you say, okay, God, what is honoring to you in this moment? What glorifies you in this moment? And you walk that way. Because there's not an exact blueprint for you. But in every crossroads, in every decision that you have, choose Him. Choose the things that He cares about. Choose the things that allow you to walk in the values and the victory. 
that he is one for you. Now we turn to verses 13 and 14. After the accusers had accused Daniel of praying because they, they caught him in the trap that they created for him. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Doesn't that sound oddly familiar to the way that the three were accused to King Nebuchadnezzar? They pay no attention to you, O king. That's right, we've established they had a different king who they paid attention to. Or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. And he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. See, King Darius actually recognized the character in Daniel. That's why he continued to promote him. Because he saw that there was something special on his life. Can I tell you, students in this room, that the people in our world will notice that there is something special about you because of your character. And they will actually work to be around you, to rescue you, to keep you from harm's way because they notice that there is something that makes them different and that they actually want that for themselves. And then it says at the end of verse 14, That King Darius was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. I'm going to go for the spoiler alert and assume that everybody knows that he makes his way into the lion's den. Which means that King Darius failed to rescue him. Because there is no one other than your God who can rescue you from the things that you are surrounded in. Even as an exile, even as a foreigner, even around people who don't share what you share, the only person who can rescue you is your God. He's the only one. But Darius, he failed. And so in verse 16, we see, So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God... Whom you serve continually, circle or underline continually, may he rescue you. The God that you serve continually. I think you get the picture there. So we find Daniel cast into the lion's den. And despite all appearances, despite how the story seems to be shaping up, God is in control. Regardless of the political forces that are moving against Daniel, God preserves Daniel from their clutches. Despite the law that condemns Daniel to death, God preserves his loyal servant. Regardless of the hungry lions that were at the pit of the den, God shows to be in control. Because as the stone that once covered the lion's den rolled away, foreshadowing to another stone that is rolled away, that God is in control. Guys, we could read just this little moment in the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50 that is so significant for us. Because it's a principle, it speaks to who our God is. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And it reads like this. 
This is Joseph's testimony. But it's the testimony of Daniel and it's the testimony of us as well. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, what this communicates about our God is that our God, He overrules evil intentions. That no matter what things are conspiring against you, no matter the different influences that are in your life, that God overrules even evil intentions. Because He cares for you. And it's for the purpose, the very specific purpose of saving lives. So that others would come to know the love and the grace and the mercy and the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. See, after Darius saw that Daniel was alive after the night with the lions in verse 26 to 27, this is what he says. Chapter 6, verses 26 to 27. He says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and revere the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Our God is a God who rescues and saves. He rescues and saves us from a consumption of self into a life of victory. And through that victory and through our character, we see that we showcase the victory that was won on the cross. When the second stone was rolled away, and Jesus, like Daniel, walked out alive. See, as we consider, as we consider the life of Daniel living as an exile in Babylon, it's like he lived in this metaphorical lion's den with so many people conspiring against him. Students, I want you to recognize that you live perpetually continually in the lion's den as people who are sent into the world but not of it. I know that because my Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8 that you have an adversary that prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to devour. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers and the principalities of darkness. See, constantly, as you guys live in our context, in all our culture, you live in the lion's den. But indeed, despite present appearances, despite how you feel you are seen in your high school, despite what it is like to go back home to your situation, no matter what the context is, God is in control. That he is there with you. That's his promise. So why would we choose character if it leads to the furnace or it leads to the lion's den? It's because our character showcases his victory. Because our character is a vessel for his glory to be seen so that people come to know him. 
It showcases a victory because we see that in Daniel, that because of the character that sent him to the lion's end because he refused to give up on his God, refused to compromise, but chose character. And then he survived. It was King Darius who said that all people in my kingdom will serve this God because he clearly rescues and saves. His character showcases the victory that God wanted in that place. But the story of Daniel parallels the greatest victory of all time. See, Jesus faced the same threat that Daniel did. Where Daniel was framed by Persian administrators, Jesus was framed by jealous religious leaders of his time. See, Daniel was arrested praying in a private location. You know who else was arrested praying in a private location? Jesus was. In the same way that Darius tried to work for the release of Daniel, so too did Pilate to try and convince the crowd that maybe it shouldn't be Jesus. In the same way that Daniel was sentenced to execution and death in the lion's den, Jesus was sentenced to death on the cross. But there's a significant difference between the two stories. Daniel came away from the lions without a, cra- without a scratch. And yet our king, our savior, he died. But it's because it was for a greater purpose. Because in both stories, when the stone was rolled away, Both characters who displayed character by being consumed by God, they both walked out alive. But Jesus' is so much greater than Daniel's because when he walked out of the grave, he conquered death. Then when he walked out, he won. He won the victory of all victories. And he won that victory for you. And he won that victory for me. Choose character over compromise. Why be consumed by God? Why choose him? Why choose him and elevate him in our lives? At every different crossroads that we make, at every single decision, Because every time you make that decision, the power of the cross gives you victory. That every time you make the decision to choose Him over the things around you, you get a walk in the victory of what was accomplished on this cross. What I love about Daniel, what I love about the three, is that every single time they chose character, They had to look forward to the coming of Christ. But us today, it should be so much easier for us because we don't have to look forward 
to Jesus coming to set us free. We can look back to the cross because he's already won. He has already won. We have everything we need to choose character over compromise, to live lives that are consumed by him. Students, would you stand with me? I want to encourage you all. Remain faithful. Remain faithful to the determination you made to live for him. The final verse of this story is found in verse 28. It says, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Remain faithful. Choose character over compromise. Because as you do that, you will prosper. Not for your namesake, but for his purposes. You know what's so interesting? I'm not going to go into all of it. But when it says that he reigned, or he prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus. Did you know that it was Cyrus that let all the Jews, all the exiles, go back home? That in our culture, in our context, we love the world. We're called to, but we long for home. My Bible says that there are moments where heaven touches earth, that his kingdom has come. How do we bring that from heaven to here? We be people of character who allow that to happen so that we can experience what home is. Where we want to be in the presence of God. Last night, we were all home. Right where we were supposed to be. But you can bring other people home too. You can bring them to the place of peace and the place of power, and the place of love by the character that you choose. By over and over again forsaking compromise for the sake of the cross. I want to be home with my King in His presence. And I get to when I stand in the determination that I made. Students, remain faithful. And you get to experience home just a little bit more. It's a place that our heart longs for. Lord, we're so thankful for the victory that you won. Spirit, we need you to strengthen us. But I thank you that we get to look back to the cross. Lord, that because of the victory that you had when you died and rose, Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Not here. Because in this room, there's a bunch of people who are alive. There's a bunch of people who walk in the fullness of the life that you've promised. And yet, there's still more. Lord, would we remain faithful? Would we remain faithful? Because you're worth it. Because we need you to be here. Because we want to be at home with you.